Let's go, man. Isn't that encouraging? I love, I love hearing what God's doing in the exchange. And man, I just want to say welcome to anyone who's here for the first time. Super glad that you're here. Come on, can we put our hands together for anyone here for the first time? My name is Mark. Uh, I get the opportunity to serve alongside this incredible team here at the Exchange and at Grace Family Church, and super pumped to jump in tonight. Uh, We're kicking off week one of our series called Eyewitness, and I'm super excited about this because I think this speaks to a lot of us in the room. I think all of us in the room can agree at times the Bible is a little intimidating, right? Bible's a little challenging, right? It's challenging to understand. I think about me, someone that's been in ministry for almost 10 years. I've been challenged by the Bible. Sometimes I read, I'm like, yo, Lord, what is this? And sometimes it feels very unapproachable. And I think even for some people that are new to the faith, you can kind of like get this idea in your mind that the Bible's just a collection of events or a series of events that took place back then, and it only speaks true to back then. But I believe through this series, we're going to understand that the Bible speaks true to today. It speaks true to today, where we are, where we find ourselves. And I think that we'll be able to see there is real life, real time application if we lean into God's word. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to look at four gospels, the four gospel accounts. When I say that, that's the four, first four books in the New Testament. And these are people that walked with Jesus, seen Jesus, they were eyewitnesses and got an opportunity to see Jesus perform miracles. And I think that when we look at these stories, it's going to speak to us today. But I wanted to start out here. Anyone in the room, I hate asking this question. I feel like no one's going to answer this. Anyone ever hear of like Tinder, the app Tinder? I kind of feel like I'm not doing my job if you're like raising your hand unashamedly, right? I remember when I was in college, I was not a user of Tinder, but one of my roommates, one of my great friends, he was, and uh, he would use Tinder from time to time, not even time to time, like that was his most used app in his phone. Some of y'all are like, oh my gosh, like that's probably yours too. Anyways, (laughs) but the thing about Christian is, um, this guy Christian, he was my roommate, but like he would just connect with different girls. I think you call it like connect, what is it called? Match? Why do y'all know this? Y'all shouldn't know this. But he would have his match. He would find his match. And I remember he would just go through all of these different things. And sometimes he would come to me with a report of different girls that he would have a match with. I'm like, bro, I don't care. And then one day he, he comes into my room. He's like, bro, this one's different. I'm like, all right, God bless. God bless you, bro. What's, what's different about this one? He's like, look at her. I'm like, yeah, that makes her different than all the rest. Sure, bro. She's like, bro, look at her. Like, bro, she's different. She's, I'm like, Christian, she's di- what's different? He's like, bro, I'm going to do this one differently, bro. I'm going to take her on a date. I'm like, to your bedroom? Like, where are you taking her on a date to? Like, that's what you do with the rest of them. He's like, no, I'm going to take her on a date to a nice restaurant on the beach. I'm like, that's a good start, Christian. Good job. That's what Tinder should be for, right? Said no one. So... Christian's like, I'm going to meet up with her next week. I would love for you to maybe meet her. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a good idea. I might just hit her over the head with the Bible and start praying over her. Not really. Wouldn't do that. But in this moment, we get to this, this day where the day comes and Christian's getting all ready. He's all excited. And I'm just like kind of like Snoopy. So I'm like, I'm going to low-key like stalk them. Like I'm going to do the right thing as a friend. Right? As a believer and a brother in Christ, I'm going to kind of like stalk them. So Christian hops in the elevator in our apartment building and our lobby, our bottom floor, our lobby was humongous. 
And Christian goes down there, and he, they had made arrangements to meet in the lobby. And as Christian gets down there, no girl to be found. No girl to be found. So he's like, did I just get catfished? Like, I could just see it on his face. Like, this girl is nowhere to be found. I'm like, that would probably be a good thing if you got catfished at this point. But he's looking around. Five minutes goes by, 10 minutes goes by, 15 minutes goes by, no girl to be found. Lobby's super huge, and I'm just standing in the stairwell watching all of this. Christian doesn't even see me. I'm just looking like, all right, I'll wait for it. Believe it when I see it. Finally, there's a girl that's sitting off in the corner afar, from afar, and Christian starts like squinting. Like, there's no way that's her. And he starts making his way closer and closer, and he's like, you could just see it in his face. Like, I hope that's not her at this point. As he gets closer, the girl stands up. Christian's six foot four, mind you. This girl looks over Christian, and she goes, are you Christian? <laughs> and you just hear Christian with trepidation. You see it all in his face. He's like, no, actually I'm not. Runs in the elevator and goes upstairs. <laughs> Funniest moment that I've seen thus far, but I share that story because the closer we get to someone, the more your perspective changes, right? The closer you get to someone, the more your perspective changes. And tonight, I want to lean into this idea. The closer we get to Jesus, the more our lives should change. The closer we get to Jesus, the more our lives should change. And to do that, I'm going to use a story from Luke chapter 7. It's a story of a Roman officer. And we see this Roman officer. When I say Roman officer, it means he was a man in a position of authority. He had anywhere from 80 to 100 soldiers that would report to him. And you see, this man had a challenge. He had an issue. One of his servants, one of his slaves, were at his house and they were sick. The Bible tells us that they were so sick they were about to die. And this, this Roman soldier, this Roman officer, he knows there's only one person that can heal his servant. And this is when Jesus, he just started his ministry in a city called Capernaum, which was a little far off. So in this moment, what he does, he doesn't go. The Roman officer doesn't go to Capernaum. What he does, he sends a group of people over to this city. He tells them, hey, I need you to get this man, Jesus, and have him come back to my house to heal my servant. So these men, they set out, they go to this city. The Bible tells us they were Jewish elders. They were Jewish men, men of faith. So they go to Jesus. They start begging and pleading with Jesus. Jesus, can you please just come to our officer's house? He is a man of noble character. He deserves this. His servant is sick. He's about to die. He needs you right now. So the Bible picks up in verse 6. It says this in Luke chapter 7, verse 6. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Verse 8, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I know this is a lot. Bear with me. I only need to say, go, and they go. Or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Verse 10. And when the officer's friends returned to the house, they found the slave completely healed. I'll probably just kick it back a little bit. About 10, maybe 12 years ago, if you knew me, you would probably just call me a jock. You would call me arrogant. You would call me 
um, just like prideful maybe. I talk about it all the time and I want to be honest. I was pretty like full of myself. I was pretty decent football player. I was pretty good. I was kind of like in a good position, I guess. And I had a couple Division I offers and stuff. I knew things were going good for me, but people would call me self-absorbed. And I think about it now, fast forward 10 or 12 years later, I meet with people that I went to high school with, especially people at the exchange. Some of you know me from high school. And you'd be like, yo, Mark's a pastor? Like, how, how, like, how, like, man, God can save anyone. (laughs) The truth of it is exactly that. God can really save anyone, but people wouldn't really know this. Like, I actually grew up in the church. I knew Jesus, but I was never really actively pursuing a relationship with him. How many of you know you could be, you can know Jesus, but that doesn't mean you're pursuing him, Right? So I I knew Jesus, I grew up in the church, but I wasn't actively having a relationship with Jesus. And many people that do know me, they know, like, Mark lived for a good time. Like, one word for Mark, like, that boy was a savage. Like, he was wildin'. Like, he was always on the scene, life of the party, that boy was crazy. I wasn't really that bad, but yeah, God saved me. Anyways, (laughs) see, the truth of it is, I, I was always looking for a good time. I think, though, for Christians, for many believers, many people that call themselves followers of Jesus, when we make this decision to accept Jesus into our heart, we're challenged by giving up the good time. We're challenged by saying, I'm going to get rid of the old and I'm going to walk into the new. I want us to understand the good time isn't what God created you for. In fact, the good time is actually what keeps you from walking in God, all that God has created you for. I want us to understand that today because this message is really all about heart transformation. I want us to understand God didn't create you to pursue your own desires. He didn't create you for a good time. No, God created you to strive for more of him. He didn't call you to pursue a good time. He called you to strive to be more like him. We call that by pursuing godliness, pursuing holiness, and I want us to get that in our hearts today, because as we jump in, I believe God is waiting for a group of people who will commit to leaving behind good and start striving for God. I think that's what God is waiting for, a group of people that are committed to leaving behind good and committed to striving toward God, and we see this in Luke chapter 10, through this Roman officer, his dying servant is at his house. I want you to follow and track with me in this story. He has this servant who is dying at his house. And now in this moment, he sends a group of people to Jesus, and they start begging Jesus to come to his house. They start begging Jesus to come to his house to heal his servant. And in this moment, in verse 6, it says, So Jesus went with them. But get this, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home. Like, picture this moment. I see it right now. Jesus is approaching the house. This Roman officer, he probably, like, runs out on the porch, right? And maybe a hundred yards away or a couple hundred feet away, he sees Jesus slowly making his way. And now in this moment, out of trepidation, he's saying, no, Jesus, don't come near Jesus, stay right there. Jesus, don't come any closer. Think about that moment. Get that, get that in your head for a second. I, as I was reading this, I was kind of like thinking about like that moment when somebody knocks on the door like the unexpected visitor. Like I love Michelle and I, we have great neighbors, but sometimes like when we moved into our neighborhood, they would like show up 
unexpectedly ring the doorbell, just be standing there with a the cake, like super, super awkwardly. And it's like, at times, like, I, I just don't want company right now. So we do what everyone else does. Like, when you, you don't want company to come in your house, you, like, quickly open the door, like, you slide out and then shut it behind you. It's like, yeah, how can I help you? It's like you don't want people to come in your house because your house is a mess and you're like throwing stuff underneath the bed. I'll be there in a minute. And you like get outside like, yo, what are you, like, you good, bro? You're out of breath. You straight? But I, I was reading this passage. I'm like, certainly it wasn't the fact that his house was a mess as to why he didn't want Jesus to come into his home. It certainly wasn't the fact that Jesus was unexpected visitor. He had expected that Jesus would come to his house. In this moment, what I see as I read this, I, I think about the fact that he had some faith to send a group of people knowing that Jesus would come. But what we see in this moment is this. We see that as Jesus shows up, as he's getting closer to him, his perspective of Jesus begins to change. See, his perspective of Jesus begins to change in this moment. You see what happens is this. He says, I am unworthy. I'm unworthy of such an honor. I'm not worthy to have you come into my home and meet you. Just say the word from where you are. You see, what changed was proximity. As he got closer to Jesus, his, his perspective of who Jesus is began to change. I want you to know tonight there's power in proximity. You see, the closer we draw to Jesus, the more our perspective of Jesus should change. You see, as Jesus was approaching, he, he checked himself. In the sight of Jesus, he realized he's unworthy. In the sight of Jesus, he realized this is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. This man is perfect. He's holy. And when I use that word holy, I mean he's set apart. He's different. He's not like man. He's perfect. There's no blemish. There's no sin in him. And as he sees Jesus approaching, he's saying, no, you can't come here. I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. You see, not only should, as we get closer to Jesus, should our perspective of Jesus change, but I believe as we get closer to Jesus, our self-perspective changes. In the sight of Jesus, I believe that we start realizing we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is not like us. We are not like God. God is everything that we aren't. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us in this room, myself included. So as we get closer to Jesus, as we continue to grow in a relationship with Jesus, we ought to have the same posture of that Roman officer. We ought to understand and believe that this is a holy, perfect, and precious God. Going back to the moment when Jesus is approaching the house and he's telling him, no, you can't come here, and he gets this perspective of Jesus, it brings me back to this thought of, in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 6, there's a man by the name of Isaiah. He's a prophet, right? And God gives him a vision of what heaven looks like. God reveals to him what heaven looks like, and in this vision, he sees God seated on a throne. And as God is seated in a throne, there's these created creatures, these angels that are surrounding God. And they're saying the words, holy, holy, holy. They're created to worship God and just keep saying, holy, holy, holy. They just keep saying it over and over and over. And not only that, the Bible says that these created creatures, they would cover their faces. 
They wouldn't even dare set their feet on the same ground that Jesus' or God's throne was sitting on. See, in the sight of God, your perspective of God changes. You should be humbled. You should be humbled. You should understand, I am not like God. God is different. He is holy. And not only that, but Isaiah, as he sees these angels, an angel approaches him and hands him a coal, a hot coal, and he puts it to his lips. And Isaiah, in this moment, he starts crying out, and he's like, yo, I am a sinner, bro. I'm nothing like Jesus. I'm nothing like this man. And because of that, as we draw closer to Jesus, our heart should just turn in response and worship him. We should just want more and more of Jesus. We should just want to worship him more and more. We should want to just continue to draw closer to him, spend more time with him. Because I want us to understand this. Like I said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God who is so rich in his love and mercy, the Bible tells us that God who is so rich in his love and mercy, instead of just leaving us as sinners and not allowing us to have a relationship with him, he sent his son to die on a cross for us. You see, all of the sin that's on us that we have in our lives, God took it off of us and put it on his son. You see, God knew, the Bible tells us that God said it was literally either we never have a relationship with him or his son takes all of our sin on the cross so that we could have access to him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, for he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be made right with God. That ought to change the way we worship. That ought to change the way we see Jesus. That ought to change our response when we walk into this room and sing these songs. We should sing from a place of gratitude, a, a place of thanksgiving, a place of reverence. And then you see, the closer we get to God, not only does our perspective change of Jesus, not only does our perspective change of ourselves, but the closer we get to Jesus, the more we should want to honor him with our lives. I think about this all the time. No one goes to the altar, right, to get married. No couple goes up there and they're just like, we're gonna get married, right? We're gonna kiss, boom. And then after we kiss, I'll, I'll see you in two months. Like, no one does that, right? No couple gets married and they're like, you know, once we get to the altar, we're not gonna spend any time together. I'll just text you once a week, text you once a month. See you later, right? After the altar, we'll just do our thing and then it's peace. On to the next. But why is it that we do that with Jesus? Why is it that we commit to a relationship with him and then it's just touch and go? I'll get to him when I want to get to him. I'll talk to him when it's convenient for me. I'll deal with him when it's convenient. Maybe I'll be able to spend some time with him tomorrow. Why do we just do that in our relationship with Jesus? Why? Because we don't have true reverence. We don't have a true understanding of who this person is and what he has done for us. And I want to lean into that tonight because I believe this with all of my heart. If we love Jesus, if we're passionate about this Jesus, we're going to do whatever it takes to draw closer to him. We're going to do whatever it takes to draw closer to him. I know this isn't like the, the super cool sermon that gets you like all emotional and hype and ready to roll, but I need some people to understand God isn't looking for a generation that's hyped for a moment, but hyped for a lifetime because they understand the sacrifice that was paid on the cross for their sin. I'm passionate about this because this is what changed my life. 
I, I grew up in church. I, I sang the songs in children's church. I did all of that stuff, but what changed my life was then I started drawing closer to Jesus. And you see, the, the truth is this. Like, I love my wife so much. I, I love her so much. And as we grow closer and closer, as the years go by, as the days go by, as the moments go by, I, I just want to keep on providing for her. I just want to keep supporting her dreams. I just want to continue to encourage her. I, I want to be the best husband possible. I want to do whatever it takes to honor my wife. And you see, it's no different in my relationship with Jesus, though. In fact, it's even more that I want to honor him with my life. It's even more I want to connect with him. It's even more I want to spend some time with him. And I want you to understand this. The way we honor Jesus, the way we honor him is by pursuing him and obeying his commands. John 14, verse 21, it says this. Those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones that love me. You see, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we ought to see the areas in our life that we need to change. And that's Kiana's story, right? She started getting connected to community. She started attending the exchange. She started really diving into a relationship with Jesus. And she started to realize, I've got some things in my life that I need to change. I've got some things in my life that I really need to fix. I've got some things within me that I need to get right with God. I've got some areas in my life that I need to clean up. And that changed her journey. Some of us in the room, we need to think, what are those things in our life? What is that thing in my life that's keeping me from wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus? And the, the truth of it is this. I'm going to use a really big word. It's called sanctification. This is a word that we use in the Christian faith. It's a process where you become more like Jesus. I'll simplify it. We call it transformation, where we're transformed moment by moment, minute by minute, becoming more Christ-like. And that's Kiana's story. When she surrendered, when she turned from her ways, she was starting to become more like Christ. And the truth of it is this, though. There's still going to be moments where we fail. There's still moments when we sin. There's, there's still moments where we stumble. But the truth of it is, God still loves you. He still pursues you. He still cares for you. He still wants you to understand he loves you the way you are. And I know as a believer, sometimes it's like super discouraging. Like, man, I stumbled again. I watched that again. I did that again. I did this again. I did this. I did this. I did that. I did that. I want you to understand this, though. The enemy will use those moments to put you to shame. You see, in the faith, we call this condemnation. The enemy wants you to feel like you're condemned, like God just banished you and pushed you away once you sinned. But the truth of it is this, condemnation is used to shame you. What we call in the Christian faith is conviction. Conviction is used to shape you and to change you. It's in, the, oh, in those moments we feel discouraged. It's, it's not God condemning us. The Bible in Romans 8, I, I memorized this verse several years ago. It tells us in Romans chapter 8, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, I want you to understand that when you are in Christ Jesus, you are secure. God doesn't banish you. He doesn't push you to the side. But in those moments when you look at yourself and say, there's something I need to change, that's conviction, and that's good because that means you have his Holy Spirit. So don't, don't forsake yourself. Don't, don't think less of yourself in that moment. The Bible tells us the wise man falls down seven times, but he gets back up again. When you stumble, when you fall, don't quit. Keep on going. 
God is for you, not against you. He loves you the way you are. But I need you to understand, some of you, you've got to deal with the issue head on. Some of you have been holding on to a relationship with someone that you should have let go long ago. Some of you in the room are are convinced if on Friday or Saturday I just go to this space and I don't do this or I don't do that, I'll be okay. But when you get to that space, one drink turns into one too many. Some of you in the room, you just need to understand, this isn't me trying to shame you, this is me trying to help you understand that God is speaking something to you. There needs to be a moment where you put the line in the sand and say, I'm gonna turn my attention to Jesus. I'm gonna live for Jesus. I'm committed to this journey. When I fall, I can get back up. My confidence isn't in my ability. My confidence is in him. Where I'm weak, he makes me strong. He isn't against me. He is for me. And I want you to understand, don't get this confused because following Jesus is not about your behavior. Following Jesus is about God changing your heart. You see, you'll get discouraged. You'll get burned out if you make everything about behavior modification. You'll get tired, you'll get burned out, you'll get frustrated, you'll feel like giving up if you make this whole thing about behavior modification. Friends, hear me. Following Jesus isn't about behavior modification, but it's about life transformation. It's about allowing Jesus to transform you from the inside out. And when you allow him to enter your heart, when you allow him to transform you, you no longer desire the things of this world. You no longer crave that thing on Friday or Saturday. You no longer crave scrolling through Tinder. You're satisfied by God and all that he is. You see, following Jesus, it's a call to change something in your life. And at some point as a follower of Jesus, we shouldn't desire to go to certain places, do certain things, look at certain things. No, we should desire to be more godly. Hear me, life transformation doesn't take you away from who you are. It brings you closer to who God has created you to be. I know some of us in the room are just comfortable the way we are, but I want you to know it's not who God created you to be. God has more for you. God has more for you. There is more for you, and Christianity isn't boring. Following Jesus isn't boring. It doesn't mean you just need to live your life in a glass box. No, friends, hear me. When you accept Jesus into your heart, it is the most freeing, life-giving thing. It's the most freeing and life-giving thing. As I close, as I think about this story in Luke chapter 7 that we read, in verse 7, you see this moment where this man displays his faith. In such a unique way. It says this in verse 7. Just say the word, Lord, from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Going down to verse 9, it says, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Verse 10. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. See, the other truth is this. The closer we get to Jesus, the more our faith should grow. The closer we get to Jesus, the more our faith should grow. You see, the story says he had faith that amazed Jesus. And I think that should show us something. Three things I get from that moment. He said, Lord, just say the word. He believed in his heart. He had faith that God could do what he said he would do. So he said, Lord, just say the word right where you are, and he'll be healed. That took some faith. 
That took a level of belief. His faith began to grow in this moment. Because first, he started out saying, God, I need you to come to my house, though. I need you to come into my house. But think about that change. But then he ends up saying, just say the word from where you are. Lord, you don't need to come into my house. He had faith if he just said the word, he could do it. The other thing we get from this moment is, once the Roman officer believed Jesus for healing, he didn't question Jesus. You know, the worst type of driver is like a backseat driver, right? And the person is like, yo, are you sure that was the right turn? Are you sure that's the speed limit? Are, we, are you sure we're going the right way? I think sometimes we have way too many backseat Christians. I think some of us are always saying like, yo, Jesus, are you sure? Jesus, are you sure you're going to do it? Jesus, but what about this? Jesus, should we be going this way? Jesus, why are you doing this? Jesus, why that? And he's saying, but if you just had a little faith, if you just believed in me, if you just pressed into me in those moments of the disarray and the despair, if you just drew closer to me, I'll show you. I'm in control. The third thing we get from this man's faith in this moment is this. He didn't even go back to his house to check on the condition of his servant. Think about that. Verse 10, it tells us his friends went back to go check on the servant. It wasn't he. His friends went back. I think that should speak to some of us in the room today. Some of you have been believing God to restore your family. Some of you have been believing God to heal a loved one. Some of you have been believing God for a promotion. Someone has, some of you in the room have believed God for freedom from an addiction, freedom from a struggle. But if you just pressed in and moved with faith, I believe if God said it, he would do it. You don't got to question God. You don't got to be the backseat Christian. No, if he said it, he will do it. Don't put a question mark around your Christianity. I think sometimes today we see so many people fall out the faith because they hit a little rough spot in their journey. They hit a little rough spot in their faith journey, and they start thinking, God, are you in this? And I, I want to be real, though, because exchange, I believe this. That happens most often to your Tuesday night and Sunday morning Christians. You see, Christianity isn't just, I'm going to show up to church on Tuesday and go maybe on Saturday or Sunday at Grace Family, and then things are going to be good. This is a each and every day I'm going to commit to drawing closer to Jesus. I'm going to spend some time with Jesus, and I think God is tired of a generation who wants to be spoon-fed by a pastor or a preacher. I think he's waiting on a generation of people who are going to feast on his presence and spend time with him early in the morning. And in those moments where you feel conviction, you're going to trust and believe, if I do do this, God's going to be honored, he's going to be glorified, and this is for my better and my good. But we can't be a group of people that think just Tuesdays and Sundays or Saturday, it's enough. No, each and every day, you need to carve out space in your day to pursue Jesus. As I close, I want to give us three practical steps to do that, to draw closer to Jesus. Number one is this. We got to get rid of the things that pull us away from Jesus. We got to get rid of those relationships, those habits that we may have, those spaces and places that we may go to. 
We got to get rid of those people that pressure us or the negative influences that we have in our life. We need to get rid of those things. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, get rid of anything that deeply entangles you and causes you to sin. If we're going to draw closer to Jesus, we got to get rid of those things. Number two is this. We need to start reading God's word. It's really simple. We got to start reading God's word. I wonder if I went to your house, what would be the most dusty item in your house? I sure hope it's not your Bible. Like, are you picking up your Bible each and every day and saying, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord? I'm going to commit to reading some scriptures. We've got to have an active relationship with God, and the way we do that is by reading God's word, by praying, by spending time with him. We've got to start reading God's word, and maybe for you, you're new to the faith. I want to encourage you, yo, ask your small group leader, hey, what's a good place to get started in the Bible? Ask him for a Bible plan. I'll tell you this, it's great to start in the book of John. It's a great place to start in the book of John. But you need to understand, you got to actively engage in communicating with him. Number three, I want you to understand, is you need to create goals and challenges that help you build your faith. you got to create spiritual goals and challenges that will help you build your faith. Maybe for you, that's attending freedom at Grace Family Church. Maybe for you, that's like, man, Tuesday nights, small groups are happening, I've been ducking it. Yo, maybe it's time for you to join a group. Maybe for you, you need to just wake up earlier to spend more time with God. Five minutes ain't enough, friends. Verse of the day is not enough. (laughs) But we laugh, but the truth is this. Some of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning and not even open up the Bible. Some of you are going to hop in your car and go about your day but not even acknowledge God. Maybe for you, you've been following Jesus for several years. I want to challenge you. Have you read the Bible from cover to cover? Maybe it's read the New Testament in 30 days. Maybe for you it's read the New Testament in 90 days. But you've got to challenge yourself at some point in order to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You've got to create a challenge. And maybe you're here today and you're hearing this message and you're saying, okay, I do need to do something about this. I want to encourage you. At the end of service, we're going to have the prayer team up at the front. They want to pray with you. They want to encourage you. They want to resource you. Your small group leaders, they want to come alongside of you. That's what a small group is about, a group of people that are committed to the same journey, that want to come alongside of you and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to ask Taylor to come on up on stage, and Lindsay, and we're going to jump into groups after that. Father, right now, I thank you. Thank you, God, that you love us. You love us so much, God. You You love us so much, even the way we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way. And God, I just pray that we would understand as we continue to grow in our relationship with you, you have more for us. You want to speak to us. You want to reveal yourself to us. And you want to show us you are the way, the truth, and the life. So I pray that, God, we would leave this space better than we came today, empowered by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys.